0: I specialize in providing insights and solutions for crisis continuity and resilience across industries from real estate and healthcare to terrorism in the airline and transportation worlds. No matter what industry you're in, this podcast will provide you the tools to build resilience in your organization. Welcome back to another episode of the Business Resilience Decoded podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about below the headlines, the real details of a cyber attack. But before we get started, I want to share a few resilience resources and reminders. And as far
1: news,
0: you can be a guest on our podcast. You can also download the five-step crisis strategy guide that we have, as well as request Vanessa Matthews for a speaker. All of those links are located in the show notes for you. In Disaster Recovery Journal News, um, you can check their website for new webinars, for updates on the conferences, as well as an updated copy of the published journals for DRJ. And lastly, if you enjoyed our podcast, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps us to know that we have great listeners, and it also helps us to know that we're giving you value. So let's dive right in and meet our guests for today. We're going to be talking to Mark Sangster. He's a vice president of industry security strategies with East Entire and he is in Toronto. Mark,
1: good morning. Oh, good morning, Vanessa. How are you?
0: <laughs> Doing well. How are you? Really good. Awesome. Um, so first question for you, Mark, can you tell our mm-hmm. listeners about you and how you've gotten into the space of cybersecurity?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've been in the uh, IT security industry now for over 20 years, and I work with some of the large companies like uh, BlackBerry, Rim, Cisco, and Intel. And in fact, back in the BlackBerry days, I worked on the first um, security your encrypted devices for the U.S. government, which, you know, were um, innovative at the time, but still, you know, you open an encrypted email, you went and got your coffee and you came back and hopefully it had opened by then you could read it, right? I mean, there's was this different days and different processing power. Um, and then from there, you know, things really just kind of, you know, grew organically and and worked in, in different sort of technology spaces within those industries. And then security over the last decade has just become so paramount that that become the kind of de facto you know focus right you don't really get much of a choice and and i spend a lot of times with different industries a lot of regulators and a lot of customers and i as we talked about in the title right i try to get below the sort of the stats and you know breach numbers and how long they're in your network to really understand what the root causes are what the real factors are because all too often i think we talk about symptoms and we don't really deal with the underlying systemic issues i'm going to start <laughs> snapping because those are keys.
0: (laughs) We want to get to the actual root cause and not just focus on the symptoms. So I really love love that. So when I was preparing for our podcast today, I saw that you spent some time influencing the way that legal firms integrate cybersecurity Mm -hmm. into their day-to-day operations. And we work a lot with people in compliance or general counsel. And often they say, well, what's my role? So My next question for you What is legal's role in cybersecurity? And then does that change depending on the type or the size of the company?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, law firms in general, I think, have unparalleled access to all sorts of confidential information so they themselves are also targets and that's something over the last set of three to five years they've unfortunately come to know as as true. But when it comes to dealing with these events, the reality is we're looking for you know pick your metaphor here right the quarterback or the captain or someone to say I know what to do because there's an awful lot of landmines out there and what you don't want to do is jump to avoid one and you know inadvertently step on the other or as I say you meet your cyber fate on the road you took, to avoid it. So their job is to be able to understand that, understand the dynamics, not just in the landscape with the sophisticated, you know, Threat actors like the ransomware gangs, but also to be talking about things like what are some of the court decisions we've seen around discoverable evidence and and you know privilege right attorney-client privilege and protected documents, um, other regulatory changes at the federal level so like U.S. Treasury coming out and talking about you can't pay um, recipients on you know a bunch of uh, OFAC lists right those kind of things are where they really have to help because at the end of the day cybersecurity is not an IT problem to solve it's a business risk to manage and a whole lot of the technical decisions you will make end up having knock-on domino effects on the business and you want to make sure you minimize those negative outcomes.
0: So you said a lot there. (laughs) So I recognize that they are a target. Um, But secondly, the key word that I heard was, you know, looking for legal to quarterback that process. So question for you. um, so, you know, we work with general counsels and then some more, you know, some attorneys that are just more general in practice. Have you seen um, lawyers make an investment in what they need to learn about cybersecurity so that they can be a quarterback? Like, how, how do you grow into be a QB in cybersecurity as a legal person?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question, right? And again, that's kind of been organic. But you know, one of the things about a licensed practitioner like a lawyer is that they have a requirement for continuous education. In fact, some states now um, have mandated that some portion of that time be dedicated to cybersecurity. So if nothing else, we're kind of setting or they're experiencing a baseline of awareness training and information, and that kind of opens up their eyes. But from a breach perspective, if you are a coach, you're helping companies like you're talking about, GCs that work in the compliance space, in the regulatory space, they kind of already understand the world. What they have to shift from, though, is this notion of it being a regulatory fine or violation to somebody's actually coming after you and figuring out how they can target your business. So there's this kind of nefarious proactive element they need to understand. And now they need to understand what the best ways are to respond? How do they demonstrate things like reasonable care, as an example? We you know we did the right things in our firm. Still, some bad things occurred. How do we deal with that?
0: That makes a lot of sense. I um, I've seen in a lot of companies where maybe the information security team is taking point on that or sometimes your crisis management business continuity teams and so um you know risk to me is owned by all <laughs> and it's a shared yes. responsibility so i can appreciate that <laughs>
1: It is, right? That's a good point too, is that it is a bit of a team play. So quarterback is one player on a football team using that analogy. And there's lots of other positions that have to be that have to be played. Um, and that's very, very true. And everyone in that organization needs to know the role, needs to know the risk they represent to the organization.
0: Absolutely. So going a little bit deeper into some different verticals. So, I, so you have a background in manufacturing, healthcare, transportation, You know, and sales and you know some of the other business functions that you've been a part of. If anything, how does the role of legal change within some of those verticals? Or are are you seeing something different in in healthcare, for example, versus transportation?
1: Yeah, so there are are some um, overarching similarities, right? So things like, you know, I get this question all the time. How is healthcare manufacturing the same? Well, the reality is they have a very sensitive operation right if it's disrupted by say ransomware as an example that could cost millions and millions of dollars to a manufacturer in downtime or in a healthcare facility that's obviously going to affect the direct treatment of patient care and ultimately patient outcome so they're similar that way but then there are elements that change things like the intrinsic or inherent. Um, technologies that they use. So if it's patient care records, if it's some kind of transportation tracking methodology, or, you know, the industrial controls in, a, in, in some kind of factory or, or plant, you have to understand what the specific risks are, the information that they manage and hold, there's obviously assets there, and there's obligations that come with those, right? So depending on where what access to information you have is gonna dictate where it moves, it's gonna dictate what you need to do about it. So those, those lawyers need to understand what that looks like. And then I think ultimately, you want to see somebody who's who's been there, right? Who's seen this before in these, you know, if it's an attack on a manufacturing plant, understands what the likelihood will be of a payout from an insurer as an example. Should they be contacting law enforcement, would that help, or is that potentially going to going to hinder in some way or expose something they might not want to expose? And when should they notify? Like, how do they work with their clients? And I do think in non regulated industries, so take healthcare aside or finance for a second, in a manufacturer is a perfect example. You may not be bound by some statute to report an event. But should you? And what happens if you don't, right? So you don't tell, you know, your clients downstream in some long supply chain, and then they find out about it, or their information ends up on the dark web. And when it gets backtracked, they realize you're the ones who leaked it, that can only end up badly, right? So really, you want someone who understands what that looks like, and can kind of say, almost like precedence, right? In in law, go, here's three or four cases that look like you. Um, Here's what happened in these outcomes. Here's my recommendations.
0: Yep, and I think that ties back to the value of um, the different, you know, players on a football team, if we go with that example, because your reputation management communications folks may be able to see, well, hey, although we're not legally required, or there's no standard thing that we have to, from a reputation perspective, here's what can happen if we don't do this. And so I think that's a, that's a really good way to help make sure that the team is balanced and that everybody is looking at risk from a holistic view and not just one
1: angle. Yeah, good point. I mean, what I what I see a lot of now, particularly in the incident response world, uh, and I deal with this every day, is companies looking for, and I'll use the term loosely here, indemnification. They want somebody like that quarterback to say, call the police, report it to a regulator, pay the ransom. Well, the reality is paying a ransom is kind of an illegal, semi-illegal activity, right? The law law enforcement's never going to tell you to give criminals millions of dollars right that's just not what they're they're meant to do so what you need though is to build this sort of chain of information where you can say i'm getting the critical technical information i need to make an informed decision at the right time and i know that decision is designed to mitigate The business risk, right? A bad outcome, like an insurance firm refusing a payout or a regular to coming and fining you later, or a client like you just talked about coming back and now saying, well, now we're gonna litigate against you because you know what, you didn't tell about this thing and you should have, and it's had an effect on our business.
0: Yep, absolutely. So I wanna transition a little bit. um, As we prepped for this call, One thing that I liked about your approach is it wasn't just focused on the technical aspects Mm -hmm. of cybersecurity, but also on the human component. So I know you do a lot of coaching with executives and with leadership teams. Can you talk to me about um, what is the people component behind cybersecurity? Like, what are the things that we may not even be aware of? that we're going through in our mind (laughs) that you can help the audience to understand.
1: Yeah, so this is a deep one, right? This is sort of a lifetime of study. But the reality is most companies just aren't prepared for the stress They're not prepared for the drama, right? So they don't know what's coming. And often I think they see it as very transactional, right? We're not going to get, you know, you're not going for medical checkup here, right? There's a real risk about this. So they don't understand the pressure when an insurer says we're not gonna cover you, right? Or you didn't do the right thing, or they want documents turned over to determine whether or not you were doing the right thing to meet the requirements. For payout. And there's a bunch of biases too, right? And there's there's a few of them that uh, that I talk about a lot, which is the first one, of course, is hindsight bias. And that's, you know, when we see something bad happen, we look at it and we go, okay, well, you know, I would have never done that, right? I would have never walked down the dark alley carrying a bag of cash at 2 a.m. in a bad part of the city. That's crazy. And then the outcome bias, which is that, you know, now we judge them, right? So now we say, well, they deserve to get robbed, right? That's, you know, ridiculous. What did they think was going to happen? But the third one too, I find is time. And that's, you know, go back to football here, right? Three seconds on the clock, the kicker makes the kick for the, uh, to win the game, they miss, you start yelling at your TV, you know, they should have, you know, that that's a terrible player. They should have fired the player, you know, seasons ago. And you start blaming the coach. You forget about the other 59 minutes and 57 seconds. And that's what we see all the time in security. So when these events occur, we see that where the intern gets blamed because they didn't update a server or patch a system, right? And that's ludicrous. How can this billion-dollar business be dependent upon this poor kid? Right. If it, if it is that kid needs a raise, right. So there's a lot more to it, just like you talked about at the beginning, right? It's, it's you're treating a symptom, not the systemic problem or the disease. That's where we need to get to. And, you know, getting beyond those biases and thinking like, well, the IT team is, you know, they just want to do this because now it's going to increase their budget or they're, enlarge their empire with more staff. And it, that's just not the case, right? Everyone is trying to do the best they can in those moments. And the reality is in those times, you don't always get the information. You're under pressure. Criminals know how to put you under pressure. So, you know, you're doing this debate of like proof of life, you know, show me that you have our files and can decrypt them. And meanwhile, they're showing you part of it. And then you're gambling. Well, is that all they have? Or do they have more? You know, should we pay the ransom? You're going through all these kinds of things. It is a very high stress environment. Um, And I just don't think most companies or most executives, I should say, are really prepared for that. They see it as just, like I said, it's simplistically trans- transactional in their minds.
0: So you said a, a few key words, stress, trauma, pressure, uh, responsibility. Um, I'm thinking back to my corporate days. I I remember a crisis event and the CAO, Chief Accountability Officer, comes downstairs and he's standing over the shoulder of the person who's typing out the, the press release. And it's like, dude, <laughs> yeah. I can't yeah. concentrate yeah. with you here on my shoulder. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just dealt with one person where they were, you know, yelling at the IT person saying, so now that you have these, you know, these things that you need to start recovering, well, how long is that going to take? And it's like, you know, they have a thousand employees and how many systems and they've never done this before. So how could you possibly give a legitimate estimate? Or you just either make it up a number, right? Or sticking your finger in the wind to, you know, gauge the direction. Like there's no meaningful way and you're not helping, right? All you're doing in that case is really delaying the recovery, unfortunately.
0: That is so funny. So um, I know we're, we're uh, wrapping up soon. So last, last question for you. You do a lot of research and writing. Can you talk to us about some of the books that you have published? And then uh, a little birdie has shared that there's one that's upcoming too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, No Safe Harbor, The Inside Truth About Cybercrime and How to Protect Your Business. I wrote that book to go below the headlines, right, to tell the stories of the small, medium-sized companies that don't get exposed in the press. But those are the ones we can really learn from because they represent the majority of those other companies, right? We're not all big banks or big hospitals or insurance companies or whatever it is. so trying to find something relatable that's 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 peer like and that's what I tried to do and then unpack it in a non-technical way to help executives understand what their obligations are and the second book well I don't really have a title on it um, but the idea here is is it's it's our conversation right it's about the emotions and the human elements and what it's really like to go through these scenarios to again reverse engineer it and say, Here's how to prepare, right? Here's what you need to know in this event. What information do you need at what time based on what that information means? What decision should you make, right? And I'm not trying to make it a simple decision tree because it never is, but how do you create some guidelines and a playbook that that they can use? So uh, the first book anyway, that's published is available on all the online and brick and mortar retailers that you can imagine or mbsangster.com. you can go there as well. And for most of my blogs, they're posted there or at eastcentire.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast brought to you by Asfalis Advisors and Disaster Recovery Journal. Make sure you check out the show notes for this episode to see all the upcoming events, programs, and ways we can support you. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a review, and share it with a friend. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.